Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, who bear record of the word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein, for the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and heard behind me a great voice, as of a trumpet, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt around the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write these things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. 
the mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we open your word today, as we look at the book of Revelation, and the message to the seven churches that you would open our hearts, that we would be receptive to your word, that we would look in our own hearts and make the changes or be encouraged or whatever you bring to our hearts, dear Heavenly Father. Be with us now and in Jesus' name, amen. Moments ago, Brother Rick read for us chapter one of the Revelation. If you turn there and look at the last two verses, verses 19 and 20, Jesus told the Apostle John, write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. So the things which are, meaning already present at the time of the writing, the things that were present, and the things which shall be, the things in the future. Then in verse 20, he says, the mystery of the seven stars, which he had just mentioned what those, uh, about those stars, which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks, which thou sawest, are the seven churches. So we know who he's talking about here. So John was instructed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to write down things that were going to happen at that time, that were happening right then, and the things that were in the future. Specifically, if we look at these uh, chapters, they are all in red. These are the words of Jesus Christ. And he is specifically speaking to the seven churches that he's going to detail and write letters to in chapters 2 and chapters, chapter 3. All seven churches, he has a very specific message for them about a very specific topic concerning their spiritual condition. We're going to spend the remainder of this summer looking at these seven churches. Because as we begin to look at them, we will see that Jesus constructed this message to apply on different levels. In fact, I think it applies on four different levels. We see it first applies to the church on the, the local churches, those he's specifically speaking to, a very practical message to them, a historical message. Then it applies to each and every individual church, us today, all churches perennially there that we are to learn and to, we are to heed because it was written for all churches at all times in all places to see and to hear. I know this because at the end, if you, as we begin to look, at the end of each of the addresses, each letter to the different churches, he says the same thing. Verse 7, verse 11, verse 17, verse 26, and so on. He that hath an ear, let him hear that the, what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He's speaking to us today. But not just to us as a church, he is speaking to us individually as Christians as well, personally. Every Christian, he that hath an ear, let him hear. And churches are made up of us, individuals, different people. We see that the church, for that most of the, the Christians and most of the churches that, that have issues stem from not heeding what we're going to see that Jesus 
tells us to apply in our life. These seven churches are, are having some things that they were doing that if we would heed, we won't do them. And lastly, it applies to the churches over time. This prophetical, where the seven churches mentioned actually plot out the course of Christendom as, the whole, as, as a whole through time. And we'll touch on that in weeks ahead. So we're going to look at the seven letters to the seven churches, and we're going to look, listen, to the, listen to them and look through them in order, in the order that they are presented, because that's important. Friendship Baptist Church, as we look at this, I want to encourage us. We need to honestly look at ourselves. This is directly to us. We need to examine our lives in light of the encouragement in light of the instruction, and in light of the correction. Is there something we need to do in our life? Is there something we need to change? Is there something we need to heed? And I want to encourage you, read chapters 2 and 3. Over the next few weeks, read over them, or read the next letter that's coming up. And allow God to speak to you, and the Holy Spirit to speak to you as you go through them. Before we jump into this first letter to the church of Ephesus, I want to point out some similarities between all of the letters. They all follow a pattern. Let me go ahead and put this up. And uh, I didn't make this up. Uh, Walvert has this, this, this way of uh, putting it out there. Uh, the church, which church he's addressing. The character uh, of Jesus Christ. There's a, it spells one specific character trait of Jesus Christ that was, that was mentioned. All of the attributes are mentioned in chapter 1. And he draws from them for a specific message to that church. Then a commendation for some things they had done well, except for Sardis and Laodicea. Then a condemnation for something they need to correct, then Smyrna, except for Smyrna and Philadelphia. Then what the correction is, a call to them, and a challenge. Each of them will have a phrase like this, I know thy works, to him that overcometh. He that hath an ear, let him hear. The description of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And finally, a promise of salvation to the believer. Every one of the letters has that. So we look now at the church of Ephesus. Chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in the right hand, in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hath labored and has not, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I say something against you, against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." All seven churches, as you see there in front of you uh, on the screen, are in what would be modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor. And we wonder, why would Jesus write to these churches, 
There were larger churches. We have the, the church in Antioch. We have the church in Jerusalem. Uh, we could have thought of other ones, but yet, why did he choose these? We're not really sure. I didn't know this until I started doing a, a little deeper study on these churches, but they're actually in a geographical progression. You see the circle there. They start there in Ephesus, and then they go north, and then they sort of circle around in order. They don't zigzag around, and there's this progression as they go around. Once again, I don't know why, but we see this progression that's there. But we find the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was one of the great commercial cities of the ancient world. Ships would come off the Mediterranean Sea, and they would go up the Caister River through a canal to get there. It was a prominent Roman province of the time, and it was, so, uh, it was such a prominent city that Rome had given them uh, the ability to self-govern themselves. The claim to fame, the big draw of Ephesus, was the greatest of the seven wonders of the ancient world, the Temple of Artemis, or by at this time, the Temple of Diana. Every May, the great Artemisian games would be played uh, in honor of, of Artemis. This would be second only in the pageantry of the, 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 um, sorry, the Olympic Games of Athens. During the time of the church, Paul came and he, he, crea- he, um, he settled this church. He, he started seeing folks saved and he organized this church around 54 AD and he was there for three years. He establishes the church and they were known for their faith. In fact, as you go through the book of Acts in Acts chapter 19, this is the city that they, they so turned the world upside down that there was rioting going on because they had affected the economy of the, the pagan idols that were being sold of princes uh, of, of Diana. Uh, and they were, they were drugged these people into the Colosseum and to the theater there, and it was causing a riot. These are people of faith. Paul was then followed by Timothy. He, he was, becomes the next pastor, and eventually even the apostle John becomes the pastor there. They, they estimate that he was there for decades from 69 A.D. on. What a rich heritage of leadership in this church. It is to this church that Jesus speaks first this letter. Verses 2, 3, and 6, we see the commendation that Jesus has to this church. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus was walking around his churches, the candlesticks, and he is holding the pastors in his right hand. And it shows us from that that Jesus sees us, that Jesus is guiding us, that he is protecting us. Do we believe that as a church? He sees you. Friendship Baptist Church, he sees you, he is guiding you, and he, having you in his hand, he has the authority over you. And he is letting that be known to this church. But most of all, we see in verse 2, he knows us. I know, he says there. I know. Jesus knows our testimony as a church. Let that sink in. He knows our testimony. He knows who we really are. And as chapter 1 says, those flaming eyes, He sees and He knows who we are. 
And what Jesus says to them is based on God's omniscient knowledge of them. And look what he sees and look what he knows. And as we look at these, look to ourselves. He says there that they were a working church. I know thy works. He says, I know thy works, Ephesus. I know thy works, friendship. He knows them. This is a church that was alive. This was a church that was buzzing with activity for God. I'm sure they were seeing people saved, people accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior. They saw people that were being baptized. They saw new members that were joining and getting involved in the ministries of that church. I'm sure they were supporting the the missionary efforts of Paul and and other disciples that were going out. They were supporting that work with their, their finances to make it possible. They were a church that was following the Great Commission. And I praise the Lord for the work that is here. Each person that attends Friendship Baptist Church, those that that have accepted Jesus Christ, those that are getting involved, a gospel-centered church. We want everyone to know that God, in His love, made a way of escape from our sin through His Son, Jesus Christ. Don't leave Friendship Baptist Church of any service not knowing that you can be saved through the power of Jesus Christ. Then we as a church, being a gospel-centered church, want to see them grow. We want to see each and every person grow in their newfound faith in Jesus Christ. I know thy works. Secondly, we see they were a willing church. He says, I know thy labor. Not just thy works, I know thy labor. And the the word labor means here, it's more than just work, it's an idea of toil. It's an idea of working hard. They were were a church that was sacrificial in the work of the Lord. It wasn't just the leftovers given to the Lord, Here's, here's what I have left. They were paying a price to serve the Lord. There was some godly exhaustion. That was happening. You know, the, the kind of exhaustion, the VBS, end of the week, a VBS type exhaustion. The end of teen camp type exhaustion. The end of transforming a mission house into a, 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 a house of service type of exhaustion. If you're going to excel at anything in life, be it sports, be it academics, or even serving the Lord, it takes that type of labor. We must serve the Lord. It, this, they weren't a church that, where people just wanted to enjoy the big days, the entertaining days, and we loved last week, but they were also willing to roll up their sleeves on the rest of the days of the year as well. And I praise the Lord for a body of believers since I, was a, since I was a young teen watching that here at Friendship Baptist Church. People that were willing to labor for the Lord. And may each of us be willing to be part of the body. Jesus says, I know thy labor. They were a working church and a willing church and they were also an unwavering church. He says, I know thy patience. I know thy patience. This was a group of believers through all their work and labor, they stood firm. Discouragement came, they stood firm. Dangers came, they stood firm. They weren't a flash in the pan. They weren't here today and gone tomorrow because of one difficulty. 
And we've seen that in many people in their faith where they were that seed in the, the rocky soil and when the sun beat down, they, they were gone. They were standing in their faith. They were not giving up when times got hard or when times got lean. They might have fallen, but they got back up. And Jesus said, I know thy patience. I see you there bandaged. I see you there bruised in the work of the Lord. Do you feel that way today? There might be someone here today that feels that way. The Lord sees your patience. He knows and He cares. Don't quit. Continue in your patience. The author unknown of this poem reads, No one is beaten till he quits. No one is through till he stops. No matter how hard, hard failure hits, no matter how often he drops. A fellow is not down till he lies in the dust and refuses to rise. Fate may bang him around and batter him till he's sore, but it is never said that he's down while he bobs up serenely for more. A fellow is not dead till he dies, nor down till he no longer tries. Friendship family, we need to be steadfast. We need to be patient. Because we are not alone. The Lord sees and He knows. His watchful eye gives me courage and it gives me strength. And it should for you as well. They were a working church, a willing church, an unwavering church, but they were also a watchful church. In two ways we see here that they were a watchful church. The first is they were watchful against false deeds. It says, how thou canst not bear them which are evil. They stood up to evil and they didn't allow that activity in the church. Evil was popping up everywhere in our society. Amen? Just read the news for 10 seconds and you will see that. Watch it in our society. And as Christians, we cannot allow ourselves to become complacent to it, and we cannot allow ourselves to become numb to it. That is our biggest obstacle, really. What we used to see, and it startled us, now, we're, if we're not careful over time, we don't even see it anymore. I'll give you an example in my own life. I drive my houses towards Montford Heights. I drive down Cheviot Road two or three times a day. I'm going to my house, I'm coming, coming here for, to, from the house, I'm going to the hospital over there, whatever it might be. And on my drive there, right at the bend where it splits off for Blue Rock, I pass by the Knotty Pine. It's a bar that's there if you don't know that part of, uh, of town. And there was a new owner a few years ago, I'm not sure how long ago now, and he really started promoting it. He, started, he put out a new sign, he painted the thing, he put up uh, sand volleyball courses, all kinds of stuff there, promoting and this type of thing. And it grieved me to see so many people every day, at every time of day, in there, doing the things that you would do in a bar. Now I pass by, and I've passed by it hundreds and hundreds of times, and if I'll be honest... I barely even notice now. The sinful activity barely enters my mind. It's just part of my surroundings. This must never be in the church. 
We can't allow ourselves to become complacent to the sin that is around us and trying to infiltrate the church. Friendship Baptist Church has to be diligent. We must remain that way from our leaders to our pews to our homes. Second, they were watchful against false doctrines. It says, And thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Then in verse 6, Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In both these instances, the Ephesian church was commended by God for examining the doctrine of people which came in to teach and came in to instruct. In Acts chapter 20, right after being in Ephesus, Paul warns them and he tells them that grievous wolves are going to come in and try to cause harm to the flock. He says that men speaking perverse things were going to try to draw Christians away, away from the truth. And it says the Ephesians looked at them and they found them to be liars. The example then is found in verse 6 of the deeds of the Nicolaitans. You say, who are those? Well, we'll come back to them a little bit more when we go to Pergamos. But the Nicolaitans, which means to conquer the people, they were the first people that tried to separate the church into classes, uh, having uh, the clergy and the laity, a false division of the church that's not taught in the New Testament. And the Ephesians expelled this false doctrine. They weren't like so many other churches and organizations of the day that want to sit down and they, oh, we just want to listen to every person that throws doubt on the doctrines of the Bible under the veil of progress or under the, the veil of intellectualism because they have a new word or they have a new way of looking at this. Was there really a virgin birth? Was there really a miracle? Did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did Jesus really mean what he said? We must stand on the word of God. He tells us in Jude, I exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. He tells us in 1 John, beloved, believe not every spirit but Try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. We must be a working church, a willing church, unwavering and watchful. And verse 3 tells us that Jesus commends them for this. He commends them in all that they did for my name's sake, he says. You have not fainted. For my name's sake, you've done all this and you have not fainted. You did all of this for me and you stood firm. Friends, this was the model church. This was the church people would be envious of. This is the church that people would emulate. And I believe and pray that in many of these areas, friendship falls in line with the Ephesians. But, but, now we see Jesus' complaint to the church. Remember in verse 1, it tells us that Jesus is walking, um, uh, he's not looking from afar, but he is walking in the midst of the churches, it says there. He is walking in the midst of the candlesticks. Everyone else is on the outside looking at this wonderful church, this what looks to be a faultless church, but Jesus sees beyond the outside and he is looking at their motives and he is looking at the heart of the matter. And this is, we need to look at this in our own hearts today if this is true. And I don't know if it is. 
We will know as we look at this as a church family. And the complaint and the condemnation, he says, thou hast left thy first love. What? We've done this for thy name's sake. And Jesus says, thou hast left thy first love. They had allowed the work of God to replace the God of the work. They had allowed the work of God to replace their love for God. How? How is this? If they're doing it in, in, in Christ's name's sake, their efforts, their endurance, their sacrifice, patience, their testing of doctrine, all of the evil that they, they plunged out of the church, all done in Jesus' name's sake, but they had lost their love for Him. They had lost their love for the Lord. It had become mechanical in nature. Have you had that happen? It had become mechanical to them. This is what we do. This is just what we do. We're now some 30 years after Paul has left this church that he founded. So most likely we are now on the second generation of believers in this church that are continuing the work. It looks like they were faithful in activity, but they had lost their love. The relationship side of their faith was not there. Friends, this is a hollow way to live a Christian life. Just activity, doing wonderful things, but not having the relationship side, that is a hollow way to live your life. Remember, this is the same church that in Acts 19, we said, caused a riot. They caused a riot for other things. This was not a lack of faith on their part. Their doctrine, their theology was on point. This is not a matter of their will. They were surrendered in their lives. This was a matter of their heart. Paul once could say this to them when he wrote in Ephesians, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you. This could no longer be said. Yes, the activity, the faith, but no longer the love. I've considered this a lot this week. And we need to take a long look at our hearts as Friendship Baptist Church. Each of us need to consider this complaint. Have I lost my love? Have I lost my first love? Am I steadfast in my faith, but there's no love for my Lord and Savior? Am I living a Christian life solely out of duty? Have I made myself so busy that I've neglected the adoration of my Savior? Friend, that's a dangerous place. It will eventually lead to apathy. And that apathy will lead to compromise. And then we've lost our testimony. May we realize labor is no substitute for love. Our purity is no substitute for passion. Both are needed in the Christian life. It's not an either or. It is a both and. 
We are a busy and faithful people at Friendship Baptist Church. And what we are doing is important. But why we do it and how we do it is just as important. God never meant for our duty to replace our love for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't just leave us in the spot where you've lost your first love. He gives us a way out. And Jesus' counsel to the church is found in verse 5. He tells them three things. Remember, repent, and restore. Remember. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Go back. Go back where you left your love for the Lord. Where did you lose that time with God? Where did it fall off in your life? Where did it fall off? If it's in our life as a church or if it's in your life personally, where did it fall off? Go back to the time that there was a passion for the Lord. That's where you're going back to. And when you do, repent. Repent, he says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess it to the Lord. Yes, I remember when that fell off, but turn back to the Lord. Repent of turning from the love of the Lord and go back to Him. Turn back to Him. And once you do that, restore. It says, do the first works. Do the first works. And all our business, busyness, we've neglected our first works of our time alone with the Lord. Our time in prayer. Our time meditating on what He has told us. Our time obeying what He has instructed us to do. And our time worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we must do this, friends, because He tells us this isn't an option. He ends verse 5 telling them, or else... Or else, this is a parent talking almost, or else I will come unto you quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of its place, except thou repent. We can look across this country today and we can see church buildings that are there, hundreds of church buildings that are doctrinally pure, that are respectable churches, that are filled with respectable Christians that have lost the light of their candlestick. Why? Because as W.A. Criswell says, they are embalmed in self-complacency. Friendship Baptist Church, as a church, as, an, as each of us as Christians, should have an incredible enthusiasm toward the work of the church. But we must have a genuine, a great compassion toward our Lord and Savior that makes all of that work stem from. Your enthusiasm in the work of the Lord should come from pouring over of your relationship with the Lord, your love for your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God isn't looking for polished prayers. He isn't looking for slick designs and perfect presentations. Amen to that. He is looking for a love for Him and a willing, obedient spirit. Do you have that today? Jesus Christ calls, He cries out, come back to me. Remember how it was. Repent and come back to me. Friendship. Have we become mechanical? Have we become mechanical in our faith and in our walk? How about you, brother and sister? Has it become that way in your life? Is your heart in some other place? Have, has serving the Lord become dull and just wearying in your life? 
and your walk with the Lord is cold or just absent altogether. Remember, repent, and restore. I promise you all the rest will fall into place. If we do what he wants us to do, how he wants us to do it, it will fall in place. The city of Ephesus is actually a picture of this letter. If you remember, I told you that it was a seaport that required the ships to travel a canal into the harbor. Over time, that busy port filled with so much silt that once what was water became land, and it was of no use as a port. So it is with the busy, active church that loses its first love. What once was a church becomes like its surrounding, and it is of no use to the Lord anymore as an actual church. He that hath an ear, let him hear. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we consider your word, we thank you for using us here at Friendship Baptist Church, for working in our lives to reach our community, to disciple our children, people that have come to know Christ, our neighborhood, for mission activity around the world. And we know that you see us. Dear Heavenly Father, we know that you have us in your hand. Help us to look at our hearts. Have we lost our love for you and all of our activity? Do we still seek your face? Do we still do the first things? Help us as a church, as leaders of our church, to look at our own hearts. May we return to you if we have, dear Heavenly Father. Just convict us with that if you have. Dear Heavenly Father, there are people here that have been members for maybe years or maybe just a few t- for a short time and they're struggling with this as, w- as well. Help them, dear Holy Father, to do exactly what you said, to remember. Remember what they've left and to repent and turn back to you and go back to those first things. Restore us, dear Holy Father. Don't take this light away. Help us to be here for years to come, not just as a building, but as a people that are yours, serving you, loving you. Be with us now in Jesus' name. Amen.